Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. Welcome to A Martyr and a Monk, where we discuss the stories of Roman Catholic saints. My name is Victoria. And I'm Christina. And this week I will be telling the story of 13th century nun and abbess St. Clair of Assisi. So this week I will be talking about a big hitter, because why not? (laughs) I will be talking about St. Clair. Um... She's relatively significant to us, but I don't think I knew anything of what I learned. No, I don't think from... I think I know uh, maybe one thing about her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And is that one thing that she was really or followed St. Francis? It is that one thing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's the one thing that I knew. Um, so we have a couple of sources for this. Um our sources for this podcast are probably going to be kind of all over the place uh, because Some of these people are from the olden times, and so the sources are often of questionable, questionable uh, validity. (laughs) But um, a lot of times we're also just going to have things like Wikipedia and other various Catholic pages. I have tried to confirm the things I find on Wikipedia, either with the sources that Wikipedia has or by going to multiple other Catholic pages. And it kind of seems like if it's on Wikipedia, everybody's going to agree on it. Um, So sort of relying on the validity of Wikipedia here. (laughs) But We also have to to remember that with things that happened a long time ago, often there'll only be one historic source for something, which then all the modern sources will all be citing the same historic source. (laughs) Right, yeah. That's what I found. There are some pretty great, um, like... Uh, scientific slash academic publications um but that kind of seems like where everything is coming from and that is all based on like some letters somebody wrote or something (laughs) like that um so it seems like we actually have pretty good documentation for saint Clair, uh which is kind of wild and we'll get into that but that's why she's so popular might be. Um, I actually think it's got to be something to do with St. Francis because I think St. Francis was already so popular at the time that people were like, hey, we should probably record this. And then yeah. St. Clair came onto the scene and then she so they were both right kind of, yeah, they were both kind of recorded together is kind of the vibe yeah, I'm getting. That sounds possible. Yeah. So we've got a Wikipedia pages on St. Clair of Assisi. Oh, that's the other thing. We're specifically talking about St. Clair of Assisi. 
uh, there is probably other St. Clairs, but we're talking about St. Clair of Assisi. Just like when you do Francis, you're talking about St. Francis of Assisi. Yes. There's lots of them. Okay, so Wikipedia page on St. Clair of Assisi, on Frederick II, on monasticism, on St. Agnes of Assisi, and a bunch of other kind of minor pages. Uh, we also have um, Catholic.org, um, the New Liturgical Movement.org, FranciscanMedia.org, and St. Francis Pilgrimages. Dot com. So St. Clair was born Chiara Offerduccio. So that's the other thing. This is all Italian. I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> um, but Chiara, I am assuming it's Chiara. It's spelled C-H-I-A-R-A. Chiara, um, maybe? Chiara, possibly. I'm not sure if the C-H in I Italian. I feel like Chiara is probably wrong. Yeah, it's probably not right. It might could be a hard C. It could be Chiara. Um but it's probably most definitely Afroduccio. Um, she was born to a rich family in the town of Assisi in 1194. Get it, girl? It's <laughs> a very long time ago. <laughs> Talking about the 1100s, people. Um, which is in the middle of the Crusades era. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Fun times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so for anybody who doesn't know, Assisi is a real town. It's in Italy, and it's pretty much right right in the center of Italy, both north to south and east to west. It's like right in the middle. Good. It, the exact center. Um, it's also the birthplace of St. Francis of Assisi and St. Agnes of Assisi, which we will get into, and probably a couple others. And also a much, much later 19th century St. Gabriel, Our Lady of, Sor- of Sorrows. Mm. Francis, Claire, Gabriel, Agnes, where's like Bob of Assisi? <laughs> <laughs> nobody knows <laughs> um and then also uh, a 40 to 50 bc latin poet oh fun his name was propertius 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 don't Propertius. propertius possibly maybe um latin poets cool stuff he's dead now it doesn't matter yeah he was dead way before st Clair too <laughs> very long time ago <laughs> um so, St. Clair is also known as Alter Franciscus, or another Francis. Uh, she is a well-known follower of St. Francis of Assisi and the Franciscan way of life. I don't like the Alter Franciscus name. Uh, yeah, it's not... I don't like that either. Very male-centered. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to some more of that later. Um, so that's mostly where people know St. Saint Clair from, is usually St. Clair and St. Francis are kind of taken together, because they both lived at the same time, which is wild because mm-hmm. two, actually three saints, as we'll get to later, living at the same time, crazy. In the um, same little town. In the same town at the same time. It's just ridiculous. Um, so they're usually taken together, and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, so Hiara was born to Favorino Skiffy and his wife, Ortolana. Um, so that's her dad and her mom in Assisi, supposedly on July 16th of 1194. We have a lot of really, really specific dates. I don't think they're right. I bet it wasn't July 16th. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know where they're getting these dates from. Um, They are cited to some of those academic papers, but I'm like, where are they getting those dates from? Because that is so specific. Well, they were rich people, right? Rich people write stuff down. Yeah, they are rich people, but also... I think from our knowledge of the olden times, just you and me, um, we know that a lot of the times people didn't record birth dates. They recorded christening dates. Mm-hmm. So True. it's possible that 
her quote unquote her birthday of July sixteenth is actually her christening date. Yeah, possibly. She's probably born a couple months before that. Yeah. So sometime in eleven ninety four, she was born. Maybe in July. We don't know. <laughs> um, so. According to accounts, Favorino Skiffy uh, was the Count of Sasso Rosso. Very fancy. Yes. He was, a, he was very rich. Uh, he was a count uh, of a castle on the slopes of Mont Subasio, which is a t- about 1,200 meter, quote unquote, mountain, which more of a large hill uh, that also <laughs> had a CC on its slopes. So from what I can tell, a CC is kind of on the slopes of this nice hill is definitely not a mountain um and then there might have been a castle also on the slopes of this hill that he was the count of but they also talk about a lot that they spent time in a palace in assisi and Hmm. i'm wondering if palace and castle are like synonymous here yeah yeah different translations of the same thing I mean, if it's just a hill, how many how many castles, palacey things could they possibly have crushed into one hill? Right. Yeah. And then I'm wondering if, yeah, if the castle is actually just a big palace, because they say the palace is in Assisi, whereas they say the mm-hmm. castle is outside of Assisi. And I also did not, should have just looked up if there's still a castle there. I didn't. <laughs> so... Uh, I don't know. Uh, they were rich um, because either they had a castle, a palace that was also a castle, or they had both a palace and a, a castle. castle. <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, okay, so they're living in this castle. Oh yeah, yep. It's either a palace or a castle or both. We don't know. Um, but Skiffy was also quote the wealthy representative of an ancient Roman family. I am assuming that means he's part of the Roman family and not that he's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> so rich dude um, is is just being rich in Assisi, basically. Mm-hmm. And then him and his wife, Ortolana, had possibly three daughters. Um, definitely at least two. So we have Chiara or Chiara and a sister who's probably named Katerina. <laughs> and I say probably because none of the sources could agree. They were like, we think it was Katerina, but like nobody's like, yes, it's Katerina. Because like for St. Clair, they're like, yes, her name was Hiara before she took St. Clair or before she took the name Claire. And every, for one of her sisters, they're like, it's probably Katerina. And then... Katerina doesn't matter. Oh, uh, she does. Uh, because... Katarina becomes St. Agnes. Oh. Yeah, so that's our third saint living at the same goddamn time. (laughs) There's two saints living in the same time in the same Two of them are sisters, yes. Um, And then there's also maybe a third sister named Beatrix. Beatrix sounds like an awfully modern name (laughs) for 1100s Italy, so I am not convinced that her name is Beatrix, but there is something about, like, a third, probably the youngest sister who may or may not have gone the same religious route, but obviously wasn't sainted, so nobody really knows anything about her. Ooh, do you think she feels like the, um, the, Mannings, the Mannings will disappear? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Where everyone else plays in the NFL except for you. You're just the other he one. He was a lawyer. Like a lawyer yeah. or something. <laughs> so, yeah. So we've got Ortolana, which is mom. Favorino, which is dad, which is a great name. Um, Hiara. Her sister, probably Katerina, 
and then possibly a Beatrix, but Beatrix doesn't really come up again, so. Okay. Sorry, Beatrix. Um, so as for their mother, Ortolana, she belonged to a, also belonged to a noble family called Fiumi, which when I googled Fiumi, I learned is also the word for river in Italian. Well, fun. So they're the rich river people. Yes. Yep. Which is great. <laughs> and Ortolana is is recorded as being extremely devout um, and raising her daughters that way. There's So there's a good expectation that if their mom was really, really devout, that's how the daughters got into that life as well. Or it could be kind of like a reverse thing where people were like, well, how did they get so devout? Their mom must have been devout. Mm-hmm. And kind yeah. of attributing it that way. So it's there isn't a whole lot on their mother, and there's not a whole lot of evidence that she actually was extremely devout. That's just kind of like the story. I also wonder if uh, devotion levels then are different from now. Like someone we would call very devout now is maybe just like average devout. In <laughs> well, she did take she did take at least three pilgrimages. So. I don't know. Rich people just did shit like that. That's true. That's true. So she was probably really devout. She um, does join the order after uh, Claire. Um, but she was also, like I said, she took multiple pilgrimages to Rome, Santiago de Compostela, and the Holy Land. In 11-something. Yeah. Yeah, in the 1100s. <laughs> um, so both Ortolana and Katerina or probably Katerina, um, <laughs> would follow Hiera's footsteps towards St. Francis. And Katerina, like I said, becomes St. Agnes of Assisi. And um, also just Ortolana just is what's very their, religious. What's their dad doing? Just hanging out, being rich? We'll get there. Okay. Um, Ortolana obviously doesn't become a nun because she's married and has yep. children. Yep. It's a prerequisite. Yep. But she... Uh, is kind of like hanging out in with their daughter's activities, I right. guess. She's a, a fun soccer mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she kind of, like I said, we don't have that much on her. So she kind of just falls out of the story. I assume she was around for a while until she died. I don't know. We don't even know when she died. So at this point, we've got Hiara. She was born probably sometime in 1194. Um Supposedly, she was devoted to prayer even as a child. Uh, but again, unknown if that's kind of like after she died, people being like, she must have been holy this whole time. Um, or if she was just a normal child. <laughs> yeah. Normal Catholic child. <laughs> yeah, she may have been like relatively strict Catholic if her mother was. But I think other than that, she was probably just a child. Oh, yeah, hard to know if she's doing that because she's a child and she has to or because she personally feels a specific drive. Yeah. So we kind of don't know much about her childhood. So we skip to when she's marrying age, which, according to all the sources I found, was 18. But that seems actually quite old for the 1100s. That does seem old. It does. So, but they're saying when she was 18, she was supposed to be married off to somebody, traditional arranged marriage situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, she was hearing St. Francis preach. So she was listening to him preach in one of the uh, churches in Assisi during Lent. And she just straight up walks up to him and says, yo, 
will you teach me to live quote in the manner of the gospel um which is the most fangirl thing i have ever heard (laughs) hey good for her yeah she goes for it so um saint francis says sure thing and on palm sunday of the next week which they're claiming is specifically march of 1212 uh, again, March 20th of 1212, which again is a very specific date. It is a very 11th. specific day. Although that one, that one is easier because you could reverse engineer when the Catholic calendar. Palm Sunday. Yeah. Yes. Must have been in that year. So that is maybe true. Yeah, that's probably true. That's possible. Yeah. So Palm Sunday of the next week, she sneaks out of her father's palace, castle, castle, castle. thing. Um, with her aunt Bianca and another woman, um, and went to the chapel that Francis was living at currently um, to meet him. There, Claire pretty much, or Hiara pretty much, just immediately cuts her hair, throws away her which her rich possessions, which I don't think she took anything with her from home. So it's probably just whatever fancy ornate robe dress she thing wearing, she was wearing. Yeah. Swapped it for a plain robe and a veil. And pretty much immediately, Francis puts her in a convent of the Benedictine nuns. Um, Supposedly, specifically 16 days later, Hiara's sister, Katerina, also sneaks out of dad's house to join her sister at the convent. Okay, look. So people should do what they love. (laughs) And teenagers can be smart and reasonable people, but sometimes you just got to take a beat. Yeah, yeah. So she pretty much immediately, she hears St. Francis speak. She's like, yes, this is what I'm doing. Um, pretty much the next week, Palm Sunday goes to, uh, meet Francis and becomes a Benedictine nun. And then a little bit later, apparently her sister's also like, yes, also doing that. I mean, I guess if you're only going to live to age 40, you got to like move along. (laughs) Right. The other thing to remember here is that like nunneries like this at this time weren't just for devout people. They were also places where women, poor women who couldn't get married would go. Uh, Orphans would go there uh, because nobody else would care for them. And so a lot of people would be raised as nuns without any other choice. So there's also a possibility that both Hiara and Katerina chose none because they had arranged marriages that were not looking great. Hmm. Yeah. So it's possible that at least at the beginning, that was one of the big reasons was like they were trying to get out of an arranged marriage that would be beneficial for their dad, but not necessarily great for them. Yep, that's fair. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like, obviously, (laughs) their mom later kind of joins them, so it kind of seems like their mom was also on their side and was like, hell nah. (laughs) All right, I take it back. Don't take a beat. Do what you gotta do. Yeah, (laughs) do what you gotta do. So, yeah, it's, it's possible that they were specifically trying to avoid something and that of telling the story over and over again, people have attributed it to be more holy than the original intention was. Yeah, maybe their dad was just a dick. Yeah. So you'll see that in a second. <laughs> Literally the next paragraph. Premonition. Uh-huh. So obviously, uh, Favorino, their dad, just had two daughters up and leave in the middle of the night to become nuns. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and at this point... He might have a third daughter. We're not sure. He might not have a third daughter. He might just have two daughters who were like the entire like positioning of the family, like inheritance kind of thing. Yeah. The whole plan. Yeah. Right. 
the whole plan, marry them off to other rich dudes, other rich friends, and then continue to be rich. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was not super jazzed about this. Uh, not not super happy. So he sent some henchmen uh, made up of his brother, brother Monaldo, and some other cousins uh, who were also rich and some other armed peoples. Uh, to the monastery to force both Katerina and Hiara to come back. Is he allowed to attack a monastery like that? Um, he wasn't attacking a monastery. He just kind of like walked in and was like, oh. yo. They shouldn't have let him in. <laughs> come thither. Ah, uh, you know. <laughs> he was rich, so. That's true. So when they arrived, uh, the henchmen like found Hiara. Hiara... They're trying to drag her out of the monastery, basically. Hiara holds on to the altar and shows the men that she had cut all of her hair off, which was probably like a stun tactic, because at that time, cutting your hair was not a thing women did. (laughs) So the fact that she did that to be a nun was like a very, very strong commitment. And I think the point was to prove to them that she was committed to this. She wasn't just trying to get away from her father. Yeah. Um, or at least she was committed to it now. Um, so, and overall she professed that she would have quote, no other husband than Jesus. And I cannot stand that translation. (laughs) Yeah, that's not great. I, I get the sentiment, but it just cringy. Yeah. Not great. So, but that's, that's the terminology of the time. So I, I get it. Um, and she says that there's nothing her father can do to make her come home. Um, outside, the henchmen are also trying to drag Katerina home, um, which there's actually a really relatively famous 1600s painting of this event, um, because, you know, people were painting religious events all the time. Um, but anyway, Monaldo, which is their dad's brother, their uncle, goes to hit Katerina with his sword, which to me doesn't make a lot of sense. He's not supposed to kill her. Just supposed to bring her home. No, I don't think a uh, rich dude's going to be thrilled with that result. She still can't get married if she's dead. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So he goes to hit her with her sword, um, but immediately his arm drops to his side, withered and paralyzed. Oh, no. Uh-huh. And then the rest of the henchmen are like, okay, we'll just drag her home, um, dragging her by the hair and beating her. You can't mess with someone whose brother-in-law is Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, she's there, like, beating her, dragging her, trying to get her to subdue. And when she does not, uh, the story goes that she suddenly became extremely heavy, much more heavy than a young woman should be, and that the henchmen have to drop her in a nearby field and let her and Hiara stay at the monastery together. Um, they kind of... It kind of freaks the henchmen out because there's, like... Pretty much at this time, everybody was religious. So the henchmen are like, yo, there is some divine intervention going on. <laughs> and they're like, not touching that anymore. We are not getting paid enough for this. I bet uh, I bet Rich Dad was not thrilled when they got home that night. And I therefore hope that Beatrix did not exist. <laughs> yes. I think it would be better for her if she just did not. is a fictionary person. Yeah. Well, so the, the henchmen go back and... Apparently, to, up to this point, their dad was not convinced that they were doing this out of real devotion, that they were doing it just to get away from him and their arranged manage- marriages. But the henchmen come back and tell him, and his brother shows him his withered and paralyzed arm. <laughs> and they, his dad is like, their dad's like, oh, okay. So then he just, like, is okay with it. I mean, 
I guess whatever works. Which I, I bet he was mad, but in in the record, like there's nothing else really that he he doesn't really pop up again. So he's just being mad somewhere else. Yeah, he's being mad somewhere else. Might have another daughter. We don't know. Hopefully not. Yeah. So uh, after this wild night, Katerina is inducted as a nun and given habits by St. Francis as well. And Tiara and Katerina take new names, which is what nuns do. Um, and they become Claire and Agnes. Um, and at this point, they're staying in a very small hut next to the church of San Damiano. Fun. Um, which the church is also described as a hut. So they're living in a hut next to a hut. So this is a step down from <laughs> step down from their castle. Yes, from their castle, for sure. Um, so this church that is the church of San Damiano... Um, is a small rundown church in Assisi, uh, which, on, like I said on Wikipedia, is described as being, as having a hut-shaped facade. <laughs> so it's a hut. It's a hut, yeah. Okay. So this church, though, is an, uh, one of the locations of one of St. Francis's, like, divine communications with God. Um, so St. Francis was um, praying there in 1205, which is a few years before... Katarina and Kiara get in, get in the game. Um, so he's praying in this little little rundown hut of a church, and uh, Christ speaks to him, saying, Francis, go and repair my church, which, as you see, is all in ruins. And so, <laughs> in human fashion, Francis is like, oh, you mean this one? Yeah, I'll fix this, <laughs> this one. This specific hut needs this to be This specific fixed. hut, I will fix this one. And then, obviously, later, he's like, oh, you meant, like... <laughs> All of it. Yeah. <laughs> you meant, like, the whole church. My bad, God. My bad. Yeah. So he, he, I mean, fixing that church is good, too. Because yeah. that's kind of, like, his hub for, like, the rest it's, it's of his It's a work. start, yep. Yeah. But it's kind of funny. He's like, oh, yeah, I can fix this one. <laughs> and God's like, no. <laughs> I meant all of it. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty good. Uh, but basically, that kind of becomes the hut. But that is, or the church that they kind of base things out of. Um, but eventually, St. Francis obviously realizes that God meant the whole church, and that kind of shapes how he approaches his life's work. So, Claire and Agnes are staying in this hut, by this hut-shaped church, and some more women join them, um, and they become known as the Poor Ladies of San, San Damiano. Um, and their intention is to live a simple life of poverty and seclusion, basically as much like the Franciscan faith as they can, basically becoming Franciscans, mm -hmm. which uh, at the time is not possible because Franciscans are monks. Um, so this is kind of weird, but St. Francis pretty much immediately has them declared as a second order, um, which as far as I can tell, second orders are the female version of a monk order, I think. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that. Um but basically, it means that they are cloistered nuns of the Franciscan way of life. Um, so they're not they're not Benedictine nuns. They're Franciscan nuns now. I like that they're called the ladies of whatever. Poor it ladies them, of San Damiano. Yeah, the poor ladies of San Damiano makes them sound very much like um, people who go to lunch. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like they go to brunch and they chat about charitable causes. Uh, yeah, no, they live there and they're very poor. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's quite nice. Um, so 
They are known as the Order of Poor Ladies of San Damiano while Clara is alive. And this cloister at San Damiano is considered the first house of their order. So houses being the cloisters of nuns. Um, makes sense. Uh, some think that it might have been associated with another network of women's religious houses organized by Pope Gregory the Ninth, but before he was Pope, um, when he was just Hugolino. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, but others say that Hugolino sort of started his women's religious houses after the fact and just wanted Claire's house to be part of it because it was so prestigious and well-known. Because it looks good, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Just because it was it was considered the one, he kind of adopted yeah, you want it. Claim it for yourself. Yep. So either way, uh, Claire becomes the undisputed leader of this order, uh, which would later be renamed for her only ten years after her death as the Order of Saint Claire. Hmm, that's nice. Yeah. Um, so overall, the tenets of the Order of Saint Claire are and were to reject all possessions and riches. Uh, they live in poverty, walking barefoot, sleeping on the ground, eating no meat. So that's the poor part. Yeah, that's the poor part. But then also observe almost complete silence. Uh, so they only speak when absolutely necessary. So they can't go to lunch and chat about charitable causes? Though. No, they just got to think about it. <laughs> okay. Just think really loudly. Think really loudly. Yeah. Um, so pretty quickly, um, at the age of 21, so assuming she came in at 18, like they said, by age 21, Claire takes over the direction of the whole order um, from Francis and becomes the first... Oh, shit, girl. Yeah. Becomes the first abbess of the con- convent. Um, and what I learned was that before she was a prioress under Francis, because Francis was the male priest that attended over the convent, mm-hmm. but as an abbess, you have you become the authority. So you no longer need a priest. No, I think. Good. So, Go away, Francis. Yeah, when you're a prioress, you are, like, in charge of the ladies, but the priest is still in charge of, like, the spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. But as an abbess, you're both in charge of the ladies, and you have, you have like, the direct connection right. with God and all that jazz. All the authority. Okay. Um, so she can actually directly control how the order progressed, grew in ideas, and members. And at this point, probably because she was a woman, in this way of life, was unthinkable for women at the time (laughs) because obviously men can be poor, but women can't be poor because women, um, many, many, many people start approaching Claire trying to get the poor ladies to lead a less hard life. So this is priests, including future popes like Hugolino, um, who I think at this point is now Pope Gregory the ninth, kind of unclear, approach Claire and try to get her order and try and grant her grant them exemption from the rules of the Franciscan friars. So they're like, no, 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 you, no, it's okay. You don't need to do that. You can still be Franciscan, but we won't make you like adhere to the Franciscan rules. Um, Men just creating problems where there isn't one before. Uh huh. Yeah. And basically they're just like, yeah, men can do this because they're men, but women shouldn't, shouldn't live in such poverty. So you can be exempt from the rules, but still be Franciscan. I bet they were not concerned about women living in such poverty on the streets. No, though. no, no. But they were only concerned about these uh-huh. very rich ladies uh-huh. living in yeah, poverty. Probably. There's probably some money behind it. But as you might have guessed, Claire was not having it. <laughs> um, she responded with an absolute ripper saying, quote, I need to be absolved from my sins, but not from the obligation of following Christ. 
Ooh. <laughs> She's just like, get out of here. This is how I am following Christ. She drops her microphone and Moon walks back into the convent. <laughs> into the convent, yeah. <laughs> basically, like, get out of here. We're not, we're not like, reducing our vows, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a surprising amount of respect for the time, uh, Pope Gregory the Ninth was like, cool, that sounds good. You can do what you want. And he granted them a papal privilege that just said that uh, it's basically a, a papal law that says that no Catholic can force the order or any member of the order to accept any possession or do anything that would counter their order's laws. Does that apply to everyone or just specifically to this order? That specifically applies applies to the poor clares. Oh. Because they were only up- approaching, because the poor clares are the only Franciscan nuns. It's interesting that he feels he needs to make a new law just for this when they could have just been grouped under the laws protecting the men. He created this problem. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure that there that there was. I guess that yeah, they're just there. I don't think there is a law that says people can't approach the Franciscans, but they're men, so people don't. Mm. I guess yeah, you know? maybe. But he was the one approaching the clerics. Well, he and a bunch of other people. There was a ton <laughs> of people doing it. Yeah, okay. it was like it was like every priest being like, no, 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 you don't have to do this. It just happened that one of the priests became a pope. <laughs> so then he was like, all right. Let's stop this. Like, stop bothering them. Just stop. Like, get out of here. Um, but even though Pope Gregory the Ninth was pretty cool and was being like, hey, stop bothering them. Just, like, let them be. They're doing what they're doing. Apparently, every pope after Gregory the Ninth still tried to get Claire to take a less severe approach to corporate poverty for the order. And every time she said no... <laughs> So even though there was a papal degree, decree, literally every pope after that was like, hey, but are you, like, sure, though? Um, and she's like, no, like, stop. We've done this already. Yeah. Please stop coming Please stop. here. And so basically she's she's committed to the idea of joyous poverty, which is a very Franciscan thing, um, as a devoted imitation of Christ. So that's, like, the whole point. Um, but she also has a series of pretty famous letters to Agnes of Prague, who is not her sister, I don't think. Pretty sure. Pretty sure Agnes of Prague is a different person. I'm not pretty sure. Um, about It's a bunch of letters about poverty and her trying to convince them to take the Franciscan way of life. I skimmed through them. There's four of them, I think. They're all pretty much the same, but you can easily look them up. Um, so over this time... With these like letters, she is recruiting other convents literally all over Europe to adopt the Franciscan way of life. Um, and around this time, so she was, she's doing a lot of, a lot of legwork. Um, but around this time, Francis also falls ill and Claire cares for him until his death in 1226. How old was he, Toria? Take a guess. Oh, no. Uh, I'm going to go... Let's see. So he, you're asking me. So he either he is weirdly young or he's weirdly old. I'm going to go with weirdly old and say he's 65. Not quite that old, but he was 44, which is not bad for the time. Mm, that's okay. Especially if he's crazy poor. Yeah. Crazy poor and like walking around barefoot and shit. Infections, you know. Tetanus. Tetanus. Yeah. So she cares for him until he dies when he's 44. And then because it's um, the 1200s, you got to sprinkle in some wars. Yep. Got those crusades going. Well, I don't know that these are crusades. I'm not really sure. (laughs) Just normal wars. Yeah. Twice. Once in 1240 and once in 1241. 
uh, some armies approached the convent and were fended off by Claire's prayers. So these are the miracles that are attributed for her canonization later. Um, so according to some records, one of the armies was that of Frederick II, who was plundering and pillaging, pillaging parts of Italy. That included Assisi, obviously. Um, and I had no idea who Frederick II was, um, so I looked it up. Uh, he was a Holy Roman Emperor, but also held the titles of King of Sicily from 1198, King of Germany from 1212, King of Italy and the Holy Roman Emperor from 1220, and King of Jerusalem from 1225, which kind of sounds like he's just naming himself King of Stuff, and he's not really King of Stuff. <laughs> I bet the people in Jerusalem don't think he's the King of Jerusalem. Uh-huh. Especially since we've got Sicily, Germany, Italy including Rome and Jerusalem, which are all very far apart. Yeah, so he's claimed like a third of Europe plus also Jerusalem. Right, between 1198 <laughs> and 1225. So yeah, I think I he's probably just not doing that, and he's just saying he did that. Um, but either way, he definitely probably was, definitely probably, keywords there, definitely probably was, uh, got some armies in Assisi attacking some stuff. Um, so the army wanted to enter the convent because they assumed that a religious entity would have like a bunch of gold and shit in it. Do they not know about the the crucial part of their name, which is the word poor? Uh, yeah, apparently they did not because they were like, the army was like, no, there's got to be riches in there. And the nuns are like, there's definitely not, but okay. Um, so they're, they're doing that good old, good old 1200 rating techniques, where they stick ladders up on the walls, try Ooh. and climb up it. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. You just pour some oil on them or something. Uh, yeah, well, we'll get there. Um, so I guess at this point, this because uh, Claire's cloister is like much more famous now, I think they did have a lot of donations to build a wall. Apparently they have a wall now. So they have a hut and a wall? Yeah. Good. At least of some sort. Moving up in the world? Yeah. So the army wants to get in the convent. They stick some stick some good old ladders on the wall. And Claire is like, hey, this is bad. <laughs> so uh, Claire goes to one of the chapels and picks up the Blessed Sacrament and takes it to one of the windows where some of the pillager guys uh, were climbing up. And she raised the Blessed Sacrament and said, quote, Does it please you, O God, to deliver into the hands of these beasts the defenseless children I have nourished with your love? I beseech you, dear Lord, protect these whom I am now unable to protect. And the soldiers just fall off their ladders and run away. <laughs> Perfect. As if they're stunned or had seen a great light. Um, and the whole army runs away. Um, and then I think the same thing happened a little bit later. Because uh, it does happen. This happens twice. Mm -hmm. uh, but I couldn't find a really specific description of that one. Well, once you've done it once, it's old news. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I did see something about the Sarsons. So it might have been the Sarsons. Yeah, maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure if the Saracens are the same as Frederick. No, they almost certainly are not. The Saracens are from uh, Turkey, I think. In the oh, okay. Middle East somewhere. So the second time might be Saracens. Might also just be Frederick again. It's kind of unclear. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, not long after this, Claire began her long period of illness before her death. Um, it is said she suffered from a severe illness for 27 years. 27 years. It's a long time to suffer from a severe illness. Yes. Um, so ultimately, she never leaves uh, San Damiano since she entered as a teenager. But just before her death, a papal bull, which sounds very dramatic, but is also just another papal law, um, 
by Pope Innocent IV was released that said that the Claire's decision that the poor ladies would adhere to strict corporate poverty would be maintained and upheld by any subsequent leader of the order. So just basically saying what Gregory the Ninth said before, just saying it again, because nobody listened the first time. Well, all those other ones, yeah, no one was listening. <laughs> yeah, so he said it again. Um, so it's still cool, I guess. Uh, but this decree comes two days uh, before Claire's death on August 11th. Um, so I think it was probably that everybody, I think Claire was, Claire and Francis were notorious enough Mm -hmm. that basically I think the Pope heard that she was dying and was like, okay. Gotta get on this. Yeah. Even after this, um. You still can't mess with the ladies. Still can't mess with the ladies, but this one's a little bit more internal because it's also referring to any subsequent leader. Because they know that somebody else is going to have to take over because Claire is no longer going to be able to be the abbess because she's dead. Um, so they're saying, okay, a new abbess can't be like, hey, we're not doing that anymore. It's like, no, like this is, if you want to be part of this order, this is what this order is going to be. You can't change it now. Um, which is also pretty cool. So he decrees this and then two days later, Claire dies, August 11th. Um, quiz time. How old was she? What was the year again of death? I'm not because you can calculate it. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll tell you after. I want to say... 90s. So she is in her 30s? Early 30s? She is 59. What? Yeah. Because she she was sick for 27 years. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this. Yeah. <laughs> 27 years. <laughs> Yeah. Skip straight from healthy young person to death. Dead? Yeah. No, she was sick for 27 years. Dies at the age of 59, which is so old. Like, yeah, like women generally live longer than men. That's just kind of how it goes. But 59 is so long for the 1200s. So long. So, yeah, she dies in, on, on August 11th. Again, really specific date. Um, but this might be more specific because there seems like we'll get into it but pretty much everybody knows she's dead the day she dies and there's a whole thing also if the pope is like you know paying attention i bet they take good records there yeah they do um so that's in 1253 um so born 1194 died 1253 um so really old just really old uh but her last reported words before her death which are like they're pretty good last words. I'm not going to lie. I like them a lot. Uh, were, quote, blessed be you, O God, for having created me. Which is very nice. It is nice. It is nice. Um, so at this point, everybody knows she dies. And the Pope orders, like, immediately, the day she dies, orders a basilica to be built in her name for the internment of her remains. Ooh, dope. Uh-huh. A basilica. <laughs> Big old, big old basilica. Um, and at her funeral, Pope Innocent IV insists that the friars who are performing her funeral uh, perform the office for the virgin saints instead of the office for the dead. So I looked this up. Could not, for the life of me, find the office of virgin saints. But from what I gleaned is the office of the dead is just the standard prayers in liturgy and all that for stuff. For funerals? That's, yeah, that's said at funerals. Okay. Um, and it's also said on like All Souls Days and um, for all the souls in purgatory also. 
So kind of general death prayers, that's the office for the dead. From what I can tell, the office for the virgin saints is, I think, just another set of readings, but it's supposed to be in remembrance only of virgin saints, which at this point, she is not yet a saint. <laughs> she has just died. She has not been canonized. She has literally just died. And Pope Innocent IV is like, no, you're going to say the office for virgin saints, uh, which is ne- almost never said at funerals, because obviously when you die, you're not a saint yet. <laughs> not a saint. That's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's also really weird. It's really, really unusual to change the office at the, the death office, basically. Um, uh, but Innocent IV did it, and apparently uh, his cardinals were really huffy about it. His cardinals didn't like it, but he did it anyway. Well, he's the Pope. He can do whatever he wants. Uh Uh-huh. And this kicks off her canonization. So immediately after her death, canonization begins, which is really weird. Mm -hmm. So in modern times, canonization, I think we have like a minimum number of years now. It takes ages. Yeah. That you have to wait after they die to even start the process. Mm -hmm. But this is the olden times, so the rules are made up. Rules don't matter. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Um, Innocent IV uh, starts it immediately. The process only takes two years. That's pretty quick. The examination of her miracles takes only six days. Mm, they had lower standards then. Uh-huh. Um, she was canonized by Pope Alexander IV on September 26th of 1255. They're just, they're just blasting through these popes, though, aren't they? Yeah, they are. <laughs> so yep. Every time you mention the pope, it's a different person. <laughs> yeah, so apparently apparently, Innocent IV died okay. in there somewhere. In those two years, he died. Okay. Um, because nobody really has ever resigned until... Yep, later recently you know? um yep so i was kind of surprised because i definitely thought that the miracle requirement for sainthood was implemented much later and that the olden times if you were just like a good person they were like saint um but apparently not they they this the whole miracle process has been in there for a very long time so there was a requirement for her to have miracles i think the there's the standard for what counted as a miracle was a lot lower than than it is now right yeah that's true so it's much easier to be like that's a miracle and that's a that's a miracle (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. but anyway so her miracles included the army situations where she prayed um and then yep where she scared uh, off the soldier guys they fell off their ladders yep and ran away um, but there's another really good one, which I enjoy. So random. Did not know this. Um, when she was too ill, when she was like really sick for those 27 years, you know, um, when she was too ill to attend midnight mass in the convent, which is like you're required to do, like that's not a choice. Um, she was reportedly able to see and hear the mass on the wall of her room. Oh, like an old timey TV. This led her to being designated the patron saint of television in 1958 Amazing. by Pope Pius XII. Amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah, it's literally a TV. Like, literally. She's got a hipster projector hooked up. Uh huh. And then when we got TVs, Pope Pius XII was like, we need a patron saint of TVs. Who had some like, TV-like stuff? I think I've heard wait. this before. <laughs> so funny. Um, so those are the, those are literally the miracles that make her canonized. Is this TV situation and the army situation? Those are solid. Uh huh. I think there's definitely more. So obviously, when in like modern times, there's a bunch of miracles that can be attributed to praying to a certain saint and asking for intercession. But I could not find any. Like, I know there must be ones for St. Clair, but I couldn't find any that at least the Catholic Church, like Rome, recognizes. I think 
Rome now doesn't really recognize the intercession miracles as much because they're trying, they're just focusing on new saint miracles. Um, but I'm sure there's more, but anyway, um, her feast day is for a while was the day after her 12 or after her death, which is August 12th. Um, because August 11th was already used for St. Tiberius and Susanna, who were two third century Roman martyrs. Okay. Well, gotta get your own day. Uh-huh. But apparently, the calendar, well, not apparently, we know, the calendar was revised in 1969, which removed Tiberius and Susanna from August 11th, um, because they just didn't have enough evidence that those people ever actually existed. Oh, no. <laughs> So, Tiberius and Susanna used to be saints. They're not saints in our modern situation canon anymore because we're not sure they maybe historically real. that they existed. Yeah. Right. Um, sure. So, they're removed from August 11th. So, now St. Clair is back to August 11th. So, today, modern times, 2021, her, her feast day is August 11th. Um, her feast is considered a third-class feast which I had to look into this, um, which this will be important for all future episodes. Um, classification system uh, just has to do with what kind of precedent the mass takes on a given day. So a first class feast is a solemnity. It's the highest class and it commemorates an event in the life of Jesus or Mary and will always dictate the kind of mass that is given if it falls on a Sunday. Okay. A second class feast is just called feasts. Um, and are for lesser events in the life of Jesus, Mary, or the apostles and major saints. Okay. So if if those fall on a Sunday, I don't think um, you might have like one reading to them, but it doesn't change everything. Okay. Um, a third class feast is called a memorial. It's the commemoration of a saint of lesser importance, and most of these feasts are optional and may only be observed in certain regions um, that may be important to a to a saint. I guess that makes sense. Otherwise, you'd be doing saint stuff literally every day. All the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then seasonal weekdays and ferial weekdays are everything else where there isn't any feast going on and stuff is just optional and or are standardized. Um, I can't imagine there's that many of those. Yeah, I would think there's none. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for some context, uh, the holy days of obligation are always solemnities. Okay. But not all solemnities are holy days of obligation. Okay. Okay? Got okay. it. Cool. Locked in. <laughs> uh, so where the nativity of Jesus is a holy day of obligation, i.e. Christmas, mm -hmm. the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul is not. Right. Because those are, uh, they, they, yeah. They're important, but they're not that important. Not that important. Yeah. Um, also, in some regions elevate certain events to solemnities depending on their history so the feast of saint patrick is celebrated as a solemnity in ireland mm -hmm. whereas in the rest of the catholic church it's just a memorial it's not right a huge deal yeah. and and as far as i can tell like rome that they, they just like that's fine like nobody's paying that much attention they're like yeah if this person's really important to you you can make them really important that's can't fine. hurt yep yeah um, so St. Clair is also often depicted as holding a monstrance, uh, which if you remember what a monstrance is, it's the big star thing that holds um, the Blessed Sacrament during like adoration. Oh, uh, yeah. The gold thing. Gold thing, yeah. Yep. Um, usually holds, holds Blessed Sacrament during usually adoration in our modern churches because it's not often that it's out and about. Mm -hmm. um, but when it is out and about, 
It's in a monstrance. <laughs> fancy sparse. Fancy Starbucks. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she's depicted like this because of the army situations. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's said that she brought the Blessed Sacrament, which people kind of assume was in a monstrance. Um, she brought it to the walls to fend off the armies. But this is also really rare for a female saint to be depicted holding a monstrance because it's usually only held... It's like a priesty thing. Yeah, usually only held by priests. And priests, if you ever notice during adorations in modern churches, priests can't even touch a monstrance with their bare hands. They always have a cloth, which has a special special name. I used to be a server. I should remember this. I don't. It has a special cloth name, but they put the cloth over their hands and then they hold the monstrance. Mm. Um, even the Pope can't hold the monstrance with his bare hands. Um, so it's really rare for not only priests to be shown holding it, uh, but especially female saints, because usually they aren't, usually it's only priests that can carry a monstrance. Yeah, they wouldn't be associated with it normally. Yeah, yeah. She's got uh, she's got armies to fend off. She's got shit uh-huh. to do. She does. She's got shit to do. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, so, time of her death, Dude's like, hey, build a basilica, right? Mm-hmm. So they build a basilica. Um, it's completed sometime. I, they must have like gotten on it because it's completed to the extent that they can bury her in it before she completely falls apart, um, which is wild. Um, so basilica's completed. It's a real place. You can go there today. Still there. Is it in Assisi? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's like a pilgrimage place for modern poor clairs like members of both the both franciscan monks and modern poor clairs um but nearly 600 years after her death in eight in 1872 so we're in 1872 now Mm -hmm. much more recent claire's relics are transferred from under the altar in the basilica of saint Clair to a new shrine in the crypt of basilica of saint Clair, um and that is still where she is today and where she can be venerated today Hmm. do they know do we know why they moved her we're gonna get into it in 1850, when this effort began, uh, Pope Pius IX granted permission for the Basilica to search for her remains mm-hmm. because they were like, hey, she should be here. Don't really know where um, because that was uh, 600 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Pope Pius IX is like, hey, we should look around. Uh, they eventually find her in a stone coffin, which is under the altar. Mm-hmm. Um, it was opened. And it is said that her body was blackened with age, but found to be uncorrupt, i.e. had not degraded or decomposed. Um, her poor cloth tunic was still intact. And at this point, she was transferred to a crystal coffin and reburied in a special crypt under the basilica that they made in 1850. Um, and she's reburied in 1872 when that crypt is completed. Um, at this time, Pope Pius IX also instituted a new feast day for the finding of the body of St. Clair, hmm. um, which pretty much only Franciscans and nuns and the poor Clares actually celebrate yep. because it's weirdly specific. It is. <laughs> no other, too many other things to do. Uh-huh. Um, so my theory is that she wasn't actually uncorrupt. I think she was probably mummified. Yeah, if she's blackened. That sounds more like mummified than actually uncorrupt yeah and if she was she was in like a stone coffin so it seems pretty reasonable that once you seal a stone coffin Mm -hmm. nothing can really get in and you're just gonna desiccate instead of decomposing so i think it was probably that she wasn't 
as uncorrupt as some bodies are uncorrupt, mm-hmm. um, as we'll probably get into in future episodes. But I think she was probably mummified. And in the 1800s, people were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, mummies were, like, new on the scene. And they were like, wow. It's a good thing they didn't eat her. Yeah, but it's good. They did not eat her because they were eating mummies. Okay. But anyway, um, so I think she was probably mummified. But unfortunately, um, they removed her body from that nice dry stone coffin. And they put it in a crystal coffin, uh, which obviously has no climate control and probably wasn't as well sealed um, and introduced a whole bunch of bacteria, probably. Mm. So after that, she deteriorates and um, is then actually decomposes and reduced to a skeleton. This is what happens when you call someone who is called poor Claire in a coffin yep. made of crystal. Yep. God's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously, so she kind of is just reduced to bones only. Um, during this deterioration, a mask is created to cover her face because things were getting gross. Mm-hmm. Freaking, freaking people out. You know, it's not good for pilgrimage money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they made a nice like clay face, clay mask to go over her face. And, but eventually her remains are just removed from public view entirely. So now you can yeah. go visit the box she's in. But you can only see a like recreation mm-hmm. sculpture kind of thing of her of her like when Probably she was smart. Yeah. Um, but what is cool is that they do have her skull. Um, and so they did a reconstruction of it because it was in pieces. Mm-hmm. They did a reconstruction of it um, to do her facial reconstruction. And mm-hmm. they made a new modern mask that is as close as what we think she might have looked like. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So the mask you see now is actually like a scientific representation of what they think, based on her skull structure, what they think she looked like. Cool. So that's pretty cool. Um, So I'm going to send you this link, and then I'm going to keep talking. Because this is images that a a nun took. Okay, so the way it's set up is you can go down in the crypt. She's in a crystal, like, glass. It's a glass box. It's not crystal. It's just a glass box. Um, (laughs) She's in a glass box. It's like a statue kind of thing. You're like, oh, cool. Very nice. But only, like, nuns and and monks can go behind it. And behind it, it's like a cutout where you can see her remains are under the sculpture in the cutout behind it. Okay. Um, But these are photos, which I'm very much like, was this nun allowed to take these photos? (laughs) But apparently she did, and nobody's taking them down. So um, nuns don't mess around. Yeah. So you can see this 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 photo. If you just like Google like Saint Clair Basilica Saint Clair, you can pretty easily find this. I, it didn't take me very long to find this photos. Um, but basically, yeah. So behind behind and under the the little sculpture thing is uh, her remains, and it also seems like there's also like a glass cup which I think is either some of her bone fragments or is the remnants of her cloak, like her poor Claire robe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of it's just kind of like bits. It's not particularly exciting. And then if you go and visit the Basilica today, there's also some more relics that are just on display, like in the normal church. Um, and these are things like some of the fabrics that they found buried with her, um, locks of her hair, clippings of her fingernails mm, don't like that which both of those things were supposedly with her body when in the 1850s when they found her um i couldn't find really specific information on this case like at the basilica's website so i'm not sure if it's still there but apparently was 
at some point. Um, I'm sure they still have those relics, but I'm not sure if they're actually on display anymore. Have you looked at this photo? I have. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, for for a while when I was researching this, I thought that her rem like her remains had just been completely removed and were like in a box somewhere. But no, they're in that case that you can go yeah. and see. You just can't physically see them, but you can still like pray to them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's odd about this this case with the the fake body in it is that it looks like the architectural style and stuff of this looks a lot like our Church of St. Clair. You, do you not think so? <laughs> I have to go look at it. I haven't looked at it in a little bit. I'll go look at it. I feel like it, I don't know, the structure and the architecture and the colors and stuff remind me of our It does, kind of, doesn't it? St. Clair. Yeah. Just interesting. Probably a coincidence, but interesting. Maybe it's the lilies. I wonder if lilies are associated with her. I don't know. Yeah, it's very odd. Um, but yeah, so you can still go visit that if you want. Um, you just can't see the stuff the remains unless you're yeah fair enough um as for her legacy obviously she is frequently associated with saint francis and both are some of the most venerated saints in the catholic church um which i always knew they were popular but apparently they're really popular (laughs) um and like even if you're not catholic a lot of people have heard of at least saint francis especially now with the pope taking saint francis assisi name um, but there's obviously churches, hospitals, convents, schools, etc., named after her all over the world. Uh, Lake Saint Clair in Ontario and Michigan was named after her because it was navigated and named by the first European navigator on her feast day in 1679. Um, which, fun fact, is before they found her body. <laughs> Just weird timeline things. It is weird. And consequently, a bunch of places in Michigan, including... Uh, include St. Clair in the name. Um, some Spanish missionaries took in 1777, took the name Mission Santa Clara and founded it in Southern California, subsequently naming the river Santa Clara mm-hmm. and the nearby city of Santa Clarita. Um, later, this area is also known, becomes known as Silicon Valley, which is kind of fitting for the patron saint of television. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a fun fact. It is a fun fact. Um, And then the first Catholic convent in Cuba is also, um, and the first cathedral there were dedicated to St. Clair. And I did not know this, but the ship we know as the Nina, Mm -hmm. which carried Columbus to the Americas, uh, was officially named the Santa Clara, which is interesting. Hmm. She is also the patron saint of eye diseases, goldsmiths, laundry, television, good weather, and needleworkers. Hmm. Which I think a lot of those might just be because she was one of the first female, like really big yeah, female saints. She gets a lot of female associated things. Yeah, yeah. So like laundry and needleworkers. Yeah. Don't know where the eye disease or goldsmiths comes from. Don't know. Or good weather. Maybe her uh maybe her severe illness was eye related. Maybe. Something possible. That sounds like the kind of thing that would take twenty seven years to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so overall, she's pretty rad because she just repeatedly shuts down popes left and right. Um, she also outlives like a billion popes, apparently. Yeah, they're kidding. <laughs> she's just around this whole time. She just like fights through some magnificent old timey mansplaining. Just a model for us all. 
Uh-huh. She lives long as hell for the 1200s. She's 59 when she dies. And she's the first woman, woman to write any monastic texts. So monastic texts are the rules and writings of monks and nuns and those committed to a life of worship. Uh, before this time, monks or priests would write nuns' monastic mm-hmm. texts for them because men. Yeah. Um, so she is the first one to write her own cloisters rules. It also probably helps that she's uh, she's wealthy and educated, probably. Right. So she could write and read, uh, which yeah. is not it's a good start. common at the time. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty rad, too. She's the first first woman ever to write these important texts. Um, and her order still exists today, obviously. Um, and that is St. Clair of Assisi, specifically. That one, not the other ones. <laughs> I gotta remember to put the oh. end bit on. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Thanks. Good stuff. Yeah, it's weird that, like, she's... Cause she's our... She's the saint named... Uh, or that our lo- local childhood church is named after. Uh-huh. It's weird that she's been around all this time. And she's like, don't really know anything about Yeah, her. I feel like that's kind of a failure of our, like, of our, like, Sunday school stuff. Yeah, that no one ever, like, went into that. Really. Nobody ever really covered St. Francis and yeah. St. Clair. <laughs> you know, actually, <laughs> I think when I was, like, eight, we did, like, a... um everybody picks a saint and talks about their history and whatever. Yeah, I remember And I that. think I did St. Clair. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, like, eight. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you want to know who I did for that? That I also who? remember? Um, I did St. Margaret. Um, but the St. Margaret, who's no longer a saint. Oh, no. Who was eaten by a dragon and cut her way out of the dragon using the pewter um, cross that she held. I think that still counts. Uh, I think it's pretty dope. Also, this was exactly at the time where I was obsessed with dragons. So, like, obviously. Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, obviously, <laughs> I was going to pick somebody who was eaten by a dragon. <laughs> also your middle name. Also my middle name. But, I mean, I think mom was the one because I was like, I don't know who I want to do. And then mom was like, well, why don't you do Margaret? And I'm like, yeah, but that's boring. And she was like. But but wait, <laughs> but wait. It depends on which one you pick. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, <laughs> delightful things. Yeah, Margaret, that Margaret who was eaten by a dragon is no longer a saint after the fixing of the saint stuff in sixteen. So again, one of the ones that's like not enough evidence that she existed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's not a good sign that she got eaten by a dragon, right? <laughs> It's not great. It doesn't for, bode well for the rest of the story. For the historical record, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. We should think of a closer. Oh. That's what we should do. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys for listening. That was St. Clair. I mentioned the sources at the beginning of the episode, but honestly, because she's so famous, it's really easy to just Google literally anything you want to know. Um, also, it's really easy to find those photos that I talked about. Again, I'm really not sure if they're, like, sacrilegious or not. Unclear. But go look at them if you want to, especially if you're not Look, if they didn't want people looking at it, they would have covered it better. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, So go check that out. Uh, Maybe one day we will have, like, an Instagram or something. I don't know. We don't have that yet. But maybe we will. Um, This one's easy to Google, so just Google it. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone.